Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. Today is Groundhog Day, Friday, February 2nd, 2024. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, what is going on, my man? Matt, not too much, not too much. Uh, It's just my buddy's birthday. That is true. I like how you came in and you were like, "Yeah, it's Friday, February second, Groundhog Day. Nothing else." I don't know. It's that was that was very very casual of you. I appreciate that. It's it's lame to wish yourself a happy birthday. I know, but like you know, you're the creator of this podcast. You might as well just <laughs> grip it and rip it. I think you you got to come out hot and be like, "Hey, it's my birthday." All right, take it from the top. Hello, everyone. It's my birthday, and because of that, you have to give us a five star rating and review. Yeah, there you go. I, I was gonna say that does sound a little douchey. You were right. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. like you gotta, you know, the 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 great ones let other people tell them how great they are, which is what you just did for me. <laughs> oh God, I did. I did. All right. Uh, yes, today is my birthday. And on, like I just made that joke, all I want for my birthday is for you to give us a five-star rating and review wherever you can and tell some friends about this podcast that you're about to listen to right now. things. Uh, Today's our first mini-sode of the year, so if you are new, if you just started listening in January, this is a bit shorter than usual, and the first Friday of every month, this is what things are going to look like. And now we have just a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co slash TPT for 15% off. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co slash TPT. All right, time for our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by CNN's Jesse Gretner, who writes, World first IVF rhino pregnancy could save northern white rhinos from extinction, scientists say. The biorescue project has successfully impregnated a southern white rhino using in vitro fertilization or IVF, which could be a possible way to restore the northern white rhino population. There are only two northern white rhinos remaining in the world, Najin and Fatu, two infertile females that live in Kenya and are constantly surveilled by wildlife conservationists and rangers. In Germany and Italy, Living sperm cells from 12 northern white rhinos are stored in liquid nitrogen, which could be used to produce an IVF pregnancy. The next steps, according to the scientists interviewed for the article, are to select a southern white rhino surrogate mother and a teaser bull. If all goes well, an offspring would live with Najin and Fatu to basically learn how to be a rhino. This is such a cool story and another story of just like wildlife conservationists being just gods like it's unbelievable that they're able to even think of doing this 
And I, I wouldn't want to be the one to, to actually do this, but the fact that they are um, able to, and hopefully this does work out. And cause we've talked about on the show before how like, you know, you, you get your hopes up for this kind of stuff and then, yeah, you know, it's, it's not as easy to just, and, and listen, a rhino is a rhino. So like I'm, I, my hopes are high, but you know, with, with the, um, I think it was the cheetah population we had talked about or the panther population, just how hard it is to keep that population up and to mm-hmm. have a, an animal, you know, learn how to be basically themselves uh, is, is a difficult, is a difficult thing. Yeah. And, and you made a good point there by saying like a rhino is a rhino. It's not like they're using a totally different species to produce IVF here. It's yeah. the sperm cells from a Northern white rhino just being carried in the embryo or sorry, carried in, in the womb of a Southern white rhino. So it would produce a Northern white rhino baby and then live with these northern white rhinos uh, in Kenya right. to to learn how they operate. And that's, you know, not to say that if they grew up separately, they would turn into like a totally different animal. But northern white rhinos and southern white rhinos are from different areas. They might have different tendencies and different natural instincts. So mm. to live with the type of rhino that is being born, that's probably really important for long term development of of the, the baby that would be born and eventually the species. But yeah, this is, um, it's really exciting. It, it makes me hopeful. And I also would not want to be the one to do this because I'm sure it's really tough, stressful work that, you know, how many failures do you go through before a potential success? Right. And it takes a lot to, to be in the face of a species going extinct and say, you know, not only can we save this, but here's how we can do it. Yeah. And here's how we're going to do it. You know, that takes so much intelligence, number one, but perseverance and, and will to, to make it work. So, yeah, yeah, I think this is fantastic. And like you said, we don't want to, we don't want to get ahead of this and say that it's definitely going to work, but I'm feeling cautiously optimistic after reading the story. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. And shout out to all the wildlife conservationists out there for your stick to I wanted to get that word in there. I just love that. Nice. All right. Next up, move to sustainable food systems could bring $10 trillion in benefits a year, study finds, by Jonathan Watts of The Guardian. John Rockstrom of the Potsdam Institute of Climate Impact Research led a team of researchers that found a shift towards a more sustainable global food system could create up to $10 trillion per year in benefits through improving human health and mitigating the impacts of climate change. An interesting finding of this study is that our current food systems cause more harm than good due to the value they create versus the hidden environmental and medical costs associated with climate change. Food systems are currently the cause of around one-third of all greenhouse gas emissions. The author calls this a vicious cycle as higher temperatures bring more extreme weather and greater damage to harvests. This study predicts that food insecurity, if the food systems remain unchanged, will lead to 640 million people underweight by 2050, while at the same time, obesity would increase by 70%. Yeah, it's basically just the same thing that we're experiencing with climate change. The extremes are getting more extreme. You're going to see more people who can afford more processed foods under the current system gaining more weight and people who live in drought prone regions that can't really grow crops anymore. Yeah. Those are going to see a lot more underweight individuals. So this is something that we need to account for well in advance of, of 2050 getting here. If we want to be able to make a difference. So 
what do we do instead? This isn't just an article to say we need to change the food system. It, it provides a solution. And this study calls for a shift of our current taxes and subsidies away from large-scale factory farming that rely on fertilizers and pesticides and monocultures, which monocultures are growing one type of crop only. And the reason they want to move away from all those things, fertilizers make the crops more reliant on fertilizers. Pesticides, yes, they are going to kill insects, but they're also going to damage the soil and they're going to damage the water and they're going to create insects that are resistant to those pesticides. And that creates a need for more pesticides. And then monocultures, by not switching up which crops grow on each plot of land, you start to see the soil health deteriorate. So the financial perks that we get through these taxes, through these subsidies, if those were directed at smaller farms, it would also create more space for wildlife in the form of native plants and animals that live in the area having their local habitat thrive thanks to those native plants. The estimated cost of this transition is only between 0.2 to 0.4% of the world's GDP. So we're not even looking at like, oh, you know, you spend $15 trillion for $10 trillion in benefits, but it's going to make things a little bit better. No, this is, this is very minor in the grand scheme of things and yeah. provides a slew of benefits. Yeah, this is one of those things we just need to swallow our pride, our American pride, and realize that Europe is just way better at this than we are. They have such an importance. They, they they stress the importance of local food. Everything mm-hmm. has to be, you know, this is, we eat this here because it's grown down the street or it's grown, you know, a mm-hmm. couple miles away. Their, their importance of local food, I'm just speaking from like, I know Italy does this. I know France does this as well. Spain. Spain. Yeah. Germany, yeah. I'm sure too. Everything is like, they eat and drink the things that are local to them. And there's a huge importance on that. And also the intervention, there's low intervention with what they're doing in their farming practices. They try and get it as natural as they possibly can. Yeah. It's like very meticulously done. Yes. So that you don't need to rely on fertilizers and pesticides. Exactly. Because they've been growing stuff from the freaking dark ages. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's, we don't need to, you know, reinvent, reinvent the wheel. Yeah. And I know like you're speaking from experience as someone who's been to Italy with Italian foods way better in Italy. And like, yes, part of it is because if you go anywhere, the native food should be better there. But part of it is also the practice of, of how the food is grown and where the food comes from. And that's exactly your point that you're making. And I know when I was in Germany this summer, I went to Nuremberg, which is in this old region of Franconia. Um, Franconia is the region within Bavaria, which is the state that Nuremberg's in. So in Franconia, there's very specific standards of what can be considered a Franconian beer, wine, sausage. So when, when Kaylee and I were getting lunch one day, we got Bavarian beer, Bavarian wine, and a Bavarian bratwurst. And oh my God, like everything was so good. And the sausage that we got was from a restaurant that the basement was a butcher shop. So people could go in and buy just uncooked meats there. And then the restaurant would use those on the same premises. So everything was made like within Nuremberg city limits. And, you know, you could just tell like food is awesome when it's local. There's a reason people love farmer's markets so much. Like there's a reason people love knowing this food came from, you know, not, not the land that I live on, but like my soil, right. It's in my watershed. (laughs) Like it's, it's part of my ecosystem and it's, it's cool. So yes, I, I think every point you made is, 
is 100% correct. And I'm sure there's people out there listening that are like, oh yeah, I've been to X place or I'm from here. My family's from here and can totally relate. So yeah, yes. I want to close with one last piece from the article that I thought was kind of important. The new study is not prescriptive about vegetarianism, but Rockstrom said demand for beef and most other meat would fall if hidden health and environmental costs were included in the price. So you got to think with big factory farming, a lot of meat is subsidized. And if we look at the the total impact that cattle farming, for example, is having on whether it's forests, whether it's on our health, you know, vegetarianism starts to make a lot more sense. Um, I myself am not a vegetarian, but I do try to limit my red meat intake. And, you know, I eat mostly fish and veggies and chicken. Um, I just brought up sausage, like occasionally I eat pork. You don't need to cut everything out of your diet to make a conscious decision to, to make it better. Yeah, absolutely agree. And that's my soapbox for the week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. All right. Before we get out of here, it is time for this week's environmental policy roundup. The U S Bureau of ocean energy management and the national oceanic and atmospheric administration have announced their final plans to protect the North American right whale, which is an endangered species with only 360 individuals left. The plan is to mitigate any potential negative impacts for the whales and their habitats through the use of artificial intelligence and acoustic monitoring to track where the whales are and the impact of wind development on those whales. Hawaii state law will require 100% clean energy by 2045. A massive 185 megawatt battery about 20 miles from Honolulu has brought the state closer to reaching that goal. This article compares them to 158 white storage sheds but they will combine to hold enough energy to supply 17% of all electricity used by the island of Oahu for three hours at peak load. With 80% of Hawaii's energy coming from oil shipped from Libya, Argentina, and elsewhere, generating clean energy on each island along with better battery storage for the energy produced will cause Hawaii's energy prices to decrease dramatically. The Biden administration paused approvals for pending and future applications to export liquefied natural gas, or LNG, from new projects last Friday. The Department of Energy will now look at the economics and environmental impacts of projects that are looking to export LNG. A spokesperson for the European Commission said that this would not have any impact in the short to medium term for the European Union, which is a top importer of United States LNG. As always, those stories are in your show notes if you want to read for more detail. But for now, that is it for this week's TPT. If you are new here, like I said, if you just started in January or just started this week, Nick and I do an episode like this every single week. Normally, they're a little bit longer, around 30 minutes. So if you like this, stick around. We'll see you next week. Until then, go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials for more TPT at Planet Today Pod. Nick Chanusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout. Nick, where can people hear more of your stuff? You can hear more of my stuff at soundcloud.com slash budlincape. And that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone. And we'll catch you right here next Friday. Peace.